Before we get going this week, I thought I'd just remind you that I'm a certified business strategist who's been in property for over 25 years. I know my clients shortcut their success by being laser focused through strategy and mentoring, as no one business model fits us all because funding, geography, skill set, it all plays a part in deciding what works for you. Getting it wrong can definitely damage your wealth. If you're serious about property, then your first step is a call with me. Nothing more difficult than following the link in the show notes to book it. This is the Property Solopreneur Podcast, and I'm Rachel Troughton. I'll be talking about everything you need to create wealth by building your portfolio in a sustainable and profitable way. I'll be sharing the realities of a property investing business. I'll talk bricks and mortar, buy-to-let, HMOs, flipping and planning game, as that's what we all enjoy doing. But I'll also share how to use good systems, processes, and find the right professionals to work with. In fact, everything that will enable you to become a successful property solopreneur. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Property Solopreneur. And I'm talking about what makes a good property deal. Well, how long have you got and how long is a piece of string? A good property deal is a bit of a holy grail and it's something I get often asked about both in one-to-one mentoring and around and about when I'm networking because if you're doing something, you desperately want it to work, don't you? you? And particularly if you're fairly new to all of this, you want to be seen to be doing a good deal rather than something that isn't. So at the risk of finishing this episode a little bit, before I even get going. I don't think there is any such thing as a good deal. I really don't, because there are so many of us doing different things. I think there's a clearly bad deal, and you can spot those a mile up. You know, Just go into an estate agent and, and they'll try and sell you something as an investment property, but do a few numbers on them and you know that it won't work. But I think there are some good deals that perhaps would just be too big for you. So they'll sink you. So do you see already I've got a good deal becoming a bad deal? I hope you're not too confused because I think that is one of the problems. We get too settled on expecting to be able to find a square peg for a square hole. No such thing. Property, it comes in so many shapes and sizes and you can do so much with it. It's different. And actually, my idea may be different to yours because we're all looking for something a little bit different. Our numbers will be different. Attitudes to funding, timeframes, risk attitude, our refurb abilities. All this makes a huge, huge difference. And as we grow in experience and knowledge, what we view as a good deal will change. And I think that's really important to remember. Now, it's not to say when you're either doing mentoring or perhaps you've gone to a conference or something and you're doing case studies that you can't look at an amazing deal sheet done by someone who's actually done the property from start to finish and look at the numbers, do a bit of calculation and then go, yep, that was a good deal. Well, actually, that's very easy to see after the event that it was a good deal because They've told you how much all the basics cost and they've told you what they've done with it. You may disagree with what they've done with it and you might say, well, it would have been much better as an Airbnb or whatever. But actually, the basic premise of do those figures work and has it become a good deal is absolutely correct. And I think this whole worry about finding something that's great 
all goes back to our early days in property when we're surrounded by people constantly talking up what they're doing and we're all worried about getting it wrong. Or you've done that very first flip and you've really bought into this concept that property is going to make you serious amounts of money. And actually it didn't. It only made you 10 grand. Well, 10 grand is actually half the average person's wage, isn't it, in a year? And you've just done that in 12 weeks, perhaps. So it's not actually a disaster, but you think it is because you didn't get rich overnight. And, you know, if you didn't get it right, so you think, then you're feeling a bit of a failure. So therefore, you must have done a a deal that was wrong. No, actually, what was wrong was you just didn't do enough of those 10 grand ones, depending on what you're doing with it. And 10 grand, actually, when you really do property well, it's not much. I'm absolutely, I I will agree. But I was using for uh, examples. I think that it is actually all about numbers based on the physical variables, location, desirability, you know, all those ethereal things that can't be bought but have serious effects on price. And that is where your skill comes in. And the set of numbers on a page also has to run alongside all the stuff you can't put down. So a very good example of that is the two villages. I'm right in the middle of two villages on either side. One has two pubs, a school, a church and a shop. Uh, The other's got a gastro pub, a pub, a school and two churches and a shop. You know, on paper, not a lot of difference. But two bed terrace in one village is 50 to 80k more than in the other village. Don't know why it is. Historically, it's always been that way. And to an outsider, you may not spot that straight away. But all the local developers and people know that that will make a difference. But in fact, funnily enough, they could use it to their own advantage. So there's the more expensive village where you'd naturally think, yippee, I'm going to get a fantastic uplift. That's not where the building is happening at the moment. It's happening in the cheaper village because they can get more people buying faster and turning their money around than putting it into the expensive areas. But back to numbers. I think there are two sets of numbers, you know, the buying costs And here, I absolutely insist you add in all those pesky finance costs and the refurb and the invisible holding costs, you know, insurance, council tax, how much it's going to cost you in utilities, etc., until it gets either sold or rented out. And then you've got to make sure that you have got an accurate finished value so that you can take one away from the other. And that will give you very much a finger in the air, but it is an idea of what the profit will be. That's the theory. But of course, it's probably not going to be as straightforward as that because some of us want to get our money out straight away buy the property do something to it and then sell it and or hold on to it and all your money comes back others go i'm going to hold it for a long term i don't need all my money out straight away if i know that this property is going to just go on delivering time after time after time so i'm going to give it 5 years to pay me back because I want to be able to get move on and do other things at the same time. And I've probably got more than one deal on the go. So different approach to things, same set of figures. One will think that's an outstanding deal. The other one will think it's okay. And property is a long game. Well, of course, unless you're only doing short-term flips. But every deal has to wash its face if you're holding it long term. It doesn't have to be outstanding because if you wait for outstanding to come along, well, you're hardly going to do a thing, are you? Because nothing is frankly outstanding until you've done it and you've worked out whether or not it really happened and everything fell into place because we know we're in property. So the market sometimes plays tricks on us. 
And of course, if you're someone who's really good at spotting up and coming areas, you know you're going to have to wait a couple of years or more to be able to see the figures actually change dramatically. And then, oh my word, don't they climb? And you've, you, you do very well out of that. But if you're newish, and newish I think means sort of having done it for less than five years, you can't see the effect of time. You may be able to see a quick uplift in something, but you can't see just how long-term holding makes a difference to values and the sheer amount of rent you can get in, which makes all the difference. When you go to property meets or group mentoring, that's another one, um, you'll see people present inspiring us with your journey. And I think inspiration through watching what other people have done is really, really good. But you've got to remember that you'll only see the deals that they have handpicked themselves to illustrate a point. Um, You know, we only see people at the front of the room who've been very active and have a body of work to choose from. And they will have had perhaps more time and more access to funding than you have so they can make bigger choices. But don't for one minute, honestly, think that every deal they've ever done was 100% successful. It's not possible to be 100% successful all the time. One of the reasons is the market can take an absolutely amazing deal on paper and turn it to ashes in absolutely no time at all if the values drop. I always talk about my four properties that came to market when the crash happened. And, you know, in the morning they were going for sale, in the afternoon they were going for rent, and their value had devalued by a third. When I look at them now, the paperwork still says they were a very good deal before the crash happened. And in fact, long term, because I've owned them for, ooh, must be now 15, 16 years, uh, they've more than done what they should have done. In fact, holding on to them has been an infinitely better return for me than selling them. But at that moment when they all devalued, they definitely look like a bad deal. So are you starting to feel more comfortable now? Can you see why if you ask the blunt question to somebody in a meeting, is this a good deal? You're not going to get a straightforward answer because there are so many variables. And of course, those of us sourcing and dealing with people who want us to find stuff for them, uh, so they could probably have all the fun. Well, their needs may well be out of the zone that would make you as a property professional think, I've got an amazing deal for them. But actually, if you ask your client, they think it's the best thing since sliced bread. They are thrilled, absolutely thrilled. They think they've got a good deal. And that's because you've provided them with what they want. That's a very different thing. So I had several deal buying customers who honestly would bite my hand off every time I released a deal. That if I'd shown those property deals on paper to people who I was working with in Stoke, they would have gone, <laughs> really? That's that's nothing more than an estate agent's idea. But actually, I was serving a really good purpose. And those deals that I sold on were very carefully sifted out and they had a full set of instructions behind them. Well, who are those property professionals to make the decisions about what my clients wanted? You know, my clients were incredibly clear as to what they thought a good deal was to them. And what's more, they paid me very handsomely to source it. Because they viewed bricks and mortar as an investment class in itself. You know, it didn't have to be a vehicle for self-improvement or long-term wealth creation. It is something where they wanted to put a block of cash for it to increase in value without it sitting in the bank. They didn't need to have an element of risk put to it. You know, because 
I think many, many people in the property world forget that there are clients in the property world who need to move money out of savings accounts because they are already wealthy. They are not trying to make their first fortune. They're not trying to make their first million. They've already got that. Property then becomes something that they need to bank, technically, their money. And so those deals that they want are very different from the, the type of deals that we get used to thinking we have to look for. You know, my clients didn't need to do all that fluff and stuff around, you know, taking a property value from X to Y by doing this and that. They had usually between 100 and 150K I could do a lot with that in Stoke-on-Trent, trust me. And they wanted a straightforward property to buy in cash as fast as possible. And the criteria was very simple. Now, to be quite honest, they could have done it for themselves if they'd had the time, but they didn't have the time, nor did they have the need or the desire to spend time talking to estate agents. And they knew also that if they spoke to the estate agent, they'd be sold any old property. My skill was weeding out the ones that were absolutely right for them. And they wanted a property in reasonable order, carpets, perhaps new ones and a repaint, the odd minor electrical update, that was fine, but that's it. To be on a popular estate that had both owner-occupiers and rentalers. And that made sure that there was always going to be a demand, whether they were selling it, buying it or renting it out and to be in an area that was known to hold its value, even in a downturn. Well, you've got to know your areas pretty well to be able to gauge those, haven't you? And then one of those areas, and not this again doesn't apply to everything, where if you put a property for sale on that estate, it would go overnight. Why? Because it was one of those estates that everyone aspired to live on. And there are lots of those around and about. You've just got to know where they are. And so when the property had come to the end of its usefulness, they could put it on the market, they would get the full amount of its value and it would go through very fast because they had the ability to make sure that they'd got all the paperwork in the right place at the right time. So in short, that property wasn't going to be bought below market value or have the ability to be have an uplift or anything. So a professional property investor wouldn't think it was a great deal. But my clients did. They got a lot out of it. And they're still holding on to many that I've bought for them and really enjoying the benefits. Because why would they think that they've got to scrabble for a below market deal? Well, that's not their driving factor. Their driving factor was safe banked funds in property that produces an amazing yield compared to the banks. And don't forget, talking of banks, they wanted to take funds out of the banking system that could, that does put limits on guaranteed security. If you've got money and property, no one goes, that's it. You've got 20 properties. That's all you're allowed. It doesn't work like that. So that is what was making a good deal for them. Each and every one of us, I think, have got to look inside ourselves and drill down and ask key questions as to what technique I'm going to do with this property. How big is my buying and refurbishment pot? And what's my long-term goal for the property? Then, then, and only then, when you know all of those, can you start to look at the figures and go, how does this work for me? So if we're looking to deal for ourselves, that's what you've got to do. But if you're looking to deal source for other people, then you've got to ask a few more questions. One of which is, what is my buyer wanting the property to do for them? Many, many people never ask themselves that question and they make deal sourcing so difficult. What is it that the buyer wants that property to do? 
And if they're not in my bricks and mortar banking group, because I did have other investors as well who wanted slightly more traditional sourcing go for them, I always said to myself, I've only got so much time. I could source anything for anyone if that's all I did and that's all I wanted to do. But actually, I don't want to do that. I want to source the deals that I want to buy for myself. And therefore, I sell on only the kind of deals that I find for myself that I would buy if I had unlimited funds. But I didn't and I needed to make another income group. So that was my criteria. And if any property fell out of that criteria, which I was sourcing for either for me or clients, to me, bad deal, not interested. Now, I know that some people will say, well, Rachel, you missed a trick there. No, I I don't have oodles and oodles of time to make sure that I was selling every single deal for whatever it was meant that I would be working round the clock because you'd have to have so many different types of investor. I haven't got time for that. No, my good deal was very specific. It didn't fall into those brackets. Sorry, not interested. And I do realise that that is a generalisation, but I think we have to be realistic with ourselves sometimes about what all this stuff does for us and the time limits that we've got. But I think as a specific, a good deal is that magical property that fulfills all your criteria, not the criteria of your builder or your surveyor or someone else in property investment. So I think we need to stop ourselves fretting over finding that great deal and stop comparing our deals to others. If you're looking at somebody else's work, then take it as inspiration, but don't go, oh, my two bedroom terrace didn't work out quite like that. There may be lots of things behind the scenes that you don't know about. Create your own happy spot where the numbers work to your satisfaction. That's all that really, really matters. This isn't a competition. You're not going to get a gold star. What you are going to do is make yourself rich and only you. And so you've got to find the tribe of investors who like you and your deals and who think your deals are just what they want and would like lots more of them, please. So keep finding the deals that fit your criteria. Finance them, farm them, and then sell them for a fee. Rinse and repeat. Rinse and repeat rinse and repeat. It's not difficult, is it? If you know what it makes a good deal for you, you can just find them time and time again. So the perfect property deal. I think that's actually another property myth busted, don't you? Thank you for listening to the Property Solopreneur podcast with Rachel Troughton. If you want to create a professional and profitable property business, download my property business checklist now at racheltroughton.com slash checklist. If you found my stories inspiring and my content useful, then come find out more about my mentoring and strategy sessions by going to www.racheltroughton.com and book a discovery call with me. The banner link is on every page. Come and create and grow your own property business. That's the shortcut to success.